Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. Hi, folks. Be sure to visit my website at dr-history.com for a short personal video message, to listen to the latest stories, and to leave a comment. Right now, we're going to say good morning, and he walked in the door, and I, I guess I'm kind of miffed in a way because I didn't see a Christmas present. I don't want to sound like I'm begging, but uh, you didn't bring anything with you. Well, you don't know that, Zeb. Maybe there's something under your tree you don't know about. Yeah, probably a squirrel like in <laughs> in America. <laughs> and what was it? Uh, I'm trying to think. Christmas vacation. Christmas vacation, a, yes, yeah, with Chevy uh, Chase. Yeah. Well, there's a squirrel in there. Yeah, well... You might want to look. You may be disappointed. But. <laughs> What's cooking? Well, uh, we're going to talk about the stagecoach robberies, kind of how that all began and how it kind of all ended. Okay. What do you mean began and ended? Well, just when it first started, oh. the first one to okay. the last one and right. the years in between. Okay. So, you know, the first, actually the first Old West stagecoach attacked and robbed was traveling to Marysville, California. In 1856. Now, this was seven years after gold was discovered at Sutter's Mill. I see. Now, six decades later, in December of 1916, the last stagecoach robbery was accomplished at Jarbidge, Nevada. Are you kidding? Which is how far from us? Is that 20 oh, miles? No, no, no. 30? It's further than that. Jarbidge yeah. from right here, probably 56. Yeah. Not that far. Yeah. Yeah, so that was the last one in December of 1916. Yeah. Well, during those 60 years, State coaches were attacked in 16 of the 17 western states, with only North Dakota the only state that never had a robbery, no a stagecoach robbery. Yeah, no kidding. So uh, a lot of the hundreds, there was lots and lots of uh, stagecoach robberies that were failed attempts. In fact, they referred to them as a water hall, and I don't know where that came from, but that meant there was nothing uh, robbed or taken or. Or, if anything, very little value. Let me ask you, were most of the attempts, and I'm curious about this, were most of the attempts by one or two or three people? That's uh, That varied tremendously. That I mean, you had some guys that tried it on their own, some two, three, four, five. So the, the guys that did it by themselves, but sometimes they were successful and sometimes they weren't. It would almost be like the guy that stands in front of a train and says, stop. Yeah, but they did. <laughs> so, But, you know, only when there was a lot of loot, uh, a lot of stuff that was substantial or somebody might have been wounded or killed, was there actually a sufficient reward offered for the capture of the robbers. So if it was just a you know, a few bucks or something, they didn't even 
mess with trying to go after the guys. But without a reward, there was not much motivation to pursue these robbers because it was government policy to withhold reimbursement for expenses unless the pursuit resulted in an arrest and a conviction. So if you're going after these guys, you know, you're going to be pretty sure that it's a pretty hefty haul. Um, did most of these stagecoach robbers in those days, did they go after the big haul, if you will, well, and they knew that there was gold or big money on there? Sometimes. I think oh. in a, in most of the cases, they didn't know what they were going to get oh. unless they had some inside information, which I some see. of them did. Yeah. But, uh, you know, there was a small number of successful stagecoach robberies, and uh, only a few really rose to what we'd call greatness because of how much they, they got I away see. with. Yeah. But, you know, the circumstances that uh, would foster the uh, robbers began to develop in 1849 as soon as gold was discovered at Sutter's Mill, and the rush was on, of course. And men from the, around the world flooded down to the Pacific coast in search of riches, and, you know, mining, it turned out, was kind of a lonely business, Homesick miners could hardly wait for some word from home to distract them from their daily routine. It was it was a tough job out there. Yeah. Winter, summer, hot, cold. Now, there's a guy by the name of Alexander Todd. He joined in the search for gold about November 1st, 1849, but soon learned that few men struck it rich for all the work they put in and all the time. So by December, Todd saw what the camps needed. He appeared in Jacksonville, not far from the gold diggings, and offered to bring in the mail which was then piled high at the post office in San Francisco, awaiting to be delivered. Well, Todd left with a packet of signed letters of authorization and soon returned with sacks of mail. The miners were so happy with this young guy, and they felt they could trust him, so they asked him to carry their gold dust back to San Francisco and deposit it in one of the new banks that was established for that purpose. Uh, He agreed to do the job and took his first load of gold dust, estimated at about $200,000. Way back when? This is 1849. Wow. So he's carrying 200,000, which would have been about 15,000 ounces of gold that he took. And he went down the San Joaquin River across San Francisco Bay in a rowboat. And in San Francisco, Todd used his share to outfit a pack train. He returned to the camps with miners' receipts and mail. So this was a great thing that he did because he was taking mail, which they wanted, and he was taking their gold dust back to the to the base. They must have really oh, trusted yeah, him. Yeah. Now, a pack train was the only alternative to the dangerous water route as there were no roads, and in some places the trails were almost too rough, even for mules or men. And while this seemed uh, the perfect scenario for somebody to rob, there were no robberies in those early days. None, uh, which you'd think there would be. But here's what Todd explained. Did they go with an armed guard or anything? No, just him, maybe one or two guys. No kidding. But here's what he said, quote, An express man on the road was almost exempt from interference because everybody was interested, and if any express man had been attacked and his assailant discovered, punishment would have been very speedy. An express man, though carrying large sums of money, bore almost a charmed life in those days. No kidding. So before robbers appeared, you know, it was a, a safe deal for him. But before 1849, the express companies were active throughout the east and the midwest but there was only a few uh, operating in the pacific coast 
Now, the Adams Express Company was established as the major provider of express shipping in California. But by 1854, Adams had grown to dominate the entire Pacific coast, while the men behind Wells Fargo carefully kind of watched. They were watching how well he was doing. And finally, in 1852, just a few years later, Wells Fargo opened its first Pacific coast business and posted its first public notice that they were in business. So Wells Fargo got into the into the business. Now, once established, the company grew quickly by adopting a policy of acquiring its smaller competitors. You know, it just went out and found these guys who were doing like a short haul, and they would buy them out or whatever. And so that left Wells Fargo and Company with only one important competitor in the West, and that was this Adams Express Company. And it actually closed just a few years later in 1855. So mm-hmm. now uh, Wells Fargo had the, you know, they had the monopoly on, on the business. So in June of 1849, the first stage line in California was established, and the coaches, and we've kind of talked about this before, Zeb, they were the spring or dead axle wagons pulled by teams of two or four mules or horses, and there were no true coaches in California until the first coach arrived by ship in 1850, and the next shipment of Concord stagecoaches, these were the nicer ones, they arrived uh, in 1851. And the first Butterfield Overland coach would not arrive from St. Louis until 1858, you know, seven years later. And in those uh, early days, there were few roads that could accommodate any form of stagecoach. I mean, just imagine. But this changed slowly over the first five years, and finally the roads were established uh, through uh, these areas uh, where it was just, in some place, just a couple of tracks for the, you know, rocks. You know, right there would be an interesting program sometime to talk about the development of the road system. Yeah, it would, because many times the roads they took are now major highways. Yeah. Some of the same places. But the stagecoaches began to replace the pack trains and the freight wagons. Now, when gold and silver were discovered in Nevada, Wells Fargo, now the pretty much dominant express company in the West, added stage lines to its operations. In 1869, Wells Fargo and company sold its stage lines and thereafter conducted the handling of express in its, and they quote this, green treasure boxes. Now, I'd never heard that term, green treasure boxes. Were those the strong boxes? Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. And on whatever stage lines uh, operated, that's what they had. Now, after the little green treasure box became the standard for carrying express, in other words, you know, money, gold, uh, other companies included uh, making up boxes as part of the process of stocking the road. The treasure boxes used by Wells Fargo and company were manufactured in San Francisco by a company, a guy by the name of Ayer. Now, Ayer used ponderosa pine for the body, which he reinforced with oak rims and iron strapping. I've got a picture of it here. I'll show you. Uh, A Wells Fargo and Company box measured. Now, this is smaller than I thought. It measured 20 inches long by 12 inches high by 10 inches deep, and it weighed nearly 25 pounds. So, basically, it's about like this. That seems a lot smaller than what I thought. thought they would be much bigger And that's than what that. they use for yeah. the money? Uh-huh. Or the gold does? Yeah. And at first, these boxes were loaded in the office and deposited into the driver's boot or inside the passenger compartment. But the common command of, quote, throw down that box led to it being bolted into the boot or the body in later years. So now when the guy holds them up and says, throw down that box, he says, I can't. It's bolted to the, to the stagecoach. 
So and let me just show you pictures, Eb. Look at, see that picture? And that's only 20 inches yeah, long. That's not very 10 big. 10 inches deep. Yeah. Holy it's cow. It's not very big. No. But, you know, the earliest stage line across the Southwest Desert uh, was a guy named James Birch's line from San Antonio, Texas to San Diego, California in 1857. Well, in 1858, John Butterfield's Overland Mail Company took over most of that route, and the mail contracted and extended the line to San Francisco. Now, Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Besides the transcontinental stagecoach line, there were uh, a whole bunch of independent stage lines in operation in every region, but they didn't do very well. They, uh, they were okay, but they were just kind of short-term. They didn't last that long. Hmm. Now, the term stagecoach is one that is reminded of a beautifully decorated Concord coach rocking along behind six powerful, rocking. perfectly matched horses, yeah, right? Yeah. That's the picture. Passengers are in. Uh, envisioned reclining in the roomy interior with the roof and the rear boot is laden with their luggage goods and the express uh, booked for the next destination you know this is kind of a very pleasant looking picture right it wasn't like that (laughs) so concord coaches which were built by the abbott and downing company in concord massachusetts measured eight and a half feet long okay that's not very long that's from here to the and high Eight and a half feet high and five feet wide. Holy And God. weighed 2,500 pounds. Now, the body was egg-shaped and rested on these thick leather braces running front to back, which led, let the body rock and earned its nickname, one of which included, included uh, the name Pitching Betsy. <laughs> I'd like to that know was what, the nickname. What were the other ones that you don't that, want to that's say? That's the only one I've, I've got here. <laughs> <laughs> but the Concord coach in the 1840s cost $1,200 to $1,500. Five feet wide. Now, yeah, wait a minute. i got to stop big. you there. How many people were... Well, I'm going to get to that. Oh. <laughs> You'll see. Now, a Concord coach could carry 21 people. What? Nine inside. Nine inside. In five foot of room? And, and eight feet across. And 12 people on top. Okay, so only nine inside, 12 on top, including the driver and the messenger or the, the, you know, the guy with the gun. So <laughs> it was pretty packed. Now, uh, however, it's not the shape or size of a vehicle that determined if it was a, quote, stagecoach, but how it was used. A stagecoach was only any four-wheeled vehicle pulled by horses or mules that was used as a public conveyance, but also carried the U.S. mail. A few stage lines could survive without a mail contract, but a lucrative contract to carry express, such as a contract with Wells and Fargo, uh, made the stage line profitable, and the fares from passengers made it a success. Uh, while a coach might not be carrying mail, express, and passengers on every run, it must have been able to do so in order to be called a stage coach. Wait a minute. You said that including the driver and the shotgun guard. 21 people. Uh, yeah, but 23 were those two. Yeah. 
20? No, including. Oh, including, including the drug. Okay. Right. Yeah. Well, let's say 21. 21 people, and uh, they're not all going to be, you know, 200 pounders, but all the weight and the weight of the baggage, if they had room for any baggage, would be on the back, probably. Would be on the back. Or on and, top. And how much, uh, how many horses did they have? Well, they went any from a two, four, to six. Oh, at least six. Yeah. So I'm thinking with the bigger ones, they had to have six. Yeah, and the movies are so goofy and wrong <laughs> when they are. show these stagecoaches with the horses oh, galloping. Yeah, traveling, They nice. didn't do that. That would have killed the horses. Oh, yeah. If they went at a nice, brisk trot, that was probably it. And can you imagine having 12 people on top of a stage going at 30 miles an hour on a curb? You'd be <laughs> dusting them off of there. Oh, yeah. they'd be. You'd be leaving them in a trail behind oh, you. Oh, my goodness. So in 1856, the year of the very first stagecoach robbery, there were hundreds of coaches in operation on the West Coast. And as the stagecoach business matured, a lot of the Concord-like wagons were built at Western Carriage Works. Uh, however, on many routes, all that was needed for a particular run was what they called a celerity, and I'd never heard that term, a celerity or a what they called a mud wagon, okay, a dead axle or spring wagon like a buckboard, or a surplus army ambulance. Uh, so these conveyances, sometimes the Concords lumbered along behind teams of horses or mules, often mismatched. You might have horses and mules pulling the same uh, same uh, outfit. That sounds like a wreck. <laughs> it does. You know, so it's not all this, uh, everything matched up and pretty, but, yeah. you know, the teams consisted, as I said, two, four, maybe six animals, depending on the vehicle, the weather, the terrain, and often the stock, the animals were so poor that in the Prescott, Arizona's Daily Minor newspaper, it referred to these animals as, quote, skeletons covered with horsehide, which the com- company fondly hoped would make this trip before dying. Holy smokes. <laughs> so these you ever heard of hay? These weren't the well-fed, plump-looking, nice, muscled yeah. horses. Yeah. Now, the passengers were allowed only 25 pounds of luggage, two blankets, one canteen, a duster coat, a hat, and clothing. They were given a cramped space in which to sit, often sharing the interior with mail sacks or express packages, and the express box or safe bolted to the floor of the interior. The rocking and rolling of the coach could cause passengers to become a little bit, uh, how should we say, queasy in the stomach, and they would be subjected to all sorts of insects, choking dust, and you can imagine, not much sleep. Uh, if you could sleep in that, you could sleep through anything. I, I, I can't imagine that there was that many people on board. Well, really, there was. I mean, that was the way they traveled. Wow. They had to. So, but there were worse times for some passengers. However, as stagecoaches might be l- delayed at some remote station for days due to swollen rivers, or a coach might be mired in the mud, requiring the passengers to get out and pull the horses out. Temperatures could be so hot. Uh, in fact, there's a guy named J- James Grant noted while crossing the Arizona desert in 1870. He said, quote, it was so cold that it almost thro- froze the driver and passengers. Now, a coach might also careen out of control and roll over or drop off a steep edge. Uh, some mishap might lead the team uh, to, you know, all kinds of accidents happened. Yeah. But you don't see that again in, in you know, in the movies. No. Now, the wheelers the who uh, fell, the guy that was behind the horse, and while the driver was trying to get them, the leaders, the, the I mean the horses, I'm sorry, uh, sometimes the horses would break away and run 
off. Can you blame him? <laughs> Leaving. So sometimes the driver's so scared that he concluded to throw up his job then and just strike out for greener pastures and say, you know what? You guys are on your own. Holy Good luck. Moly. You know? But uh, anyway, I know we're about out of time here, so let me just finish up here. But stage, uh, the, the term stage in stagecoach referred to the division of a route into segments or stages of travel. Okay, so 15 to 20 miles between stations under ideal circumstances, uh, though over time the term stage was commonly applied to the coach, to the stage coach. Gotcha. But the stage was actually the, the station. Okay, so these swing stations uh, were quite basic with corrals, a shed to store feed, and living quarters for the guy that was taking care of them. Now, at a swing station, the teams were changed in less than 15 minutes, depending on whether the animals were in a corral or they might be out to pasture because you know the guy there he didn't know exactly when the stage was sure. coming in sure. so they he might have to go round them up and the passengers barely had time to have a little rest the swing stations alternated with way stations which were larger facilities okay they were a little bit bigger and at these way stations uh they could maybe eat a meal uh they might only have still only a half an hour uh, of rest and sometimes when the stage coach stopped for the night that the way station they would allow the passengers to sleep in a, maybe a big room on the floor uh, this also served as the dining room and sometimes a store so the sleeping uh, accommodations weren't what we call not as glamorous as the no. movies portray. No, you don't pull in and have a nice room with no. a bed. But you know, after days travel on a through coach, the driver and the coach might also be exchanged before continuing on. And in the desert, the distance between the stations could be quite a bit longer, as these stations were uh, situated where water was available. Really, and that wasn't always you know convenient. Twenty no. twenty five miles. Uh, if the distance was too uh, great between stations, then they'd have what they call a dry station would be established, and water would be hauled to a tank built by the company. And in the earliest times before dry stations could be supplied, they would have remudas of horses or mules, and they were driven along with the coach for periodic changes of the team. So here you have a stagecoach, Zeb, with some spare horses or mules coming along behind him. Really? So they could change out the animals when the, the lead I didn't know that. teams got, I, and I didn't either. Um, so uh, once water was found, the stations were built at those sites. Now, one of the greatest hazards at at least the most thrilling event uh, during traveling on a coach was being uh, stopped and robbed by a road agent. And treasure was most often the form of metal, gold, silver, things like that. And, of course, the discovery of gold uh, was the, you know, the, what prompted all that. And I know we're about out of time. We so are. We are. Let, let me just get to here. There were lots and lots of stagecoaches that were jumped before the last robbery occurred in December 1916 over here, not very far from us, in Jarbidge, Nevada. Let's continue that a little bit Okay. after the first of the year. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I want to thank you. I didn't know a lot of that. Never yeah. heard of a lot. Of, I didn't know that they, I only got a th- 30 seconds here, but uh, I didn't know that they actually trailed a stagecoach with a replacement uh, yeah. remuda, if you will. Right. Yeah. yeah I had not heard Holy of that either. Dr. History, God bless you and your family. Merry Christmas. You too, Zeb. You have thank a you Merry so Christmas. much. Thank, thank you. you.
Saving money on exterior wall lights. Now at Menards. Find your style with Patriot Lighting. Exterior lights enhance the look of your home. Choose from over 50 options from Patriot Lighting. Now through May 19th, get $10 instant savings on a single qualifying purchase of $100 or more on in-stock outdoor wall lights. Check out our entire selection of outdoor lights and see the rest of our deals happening now on Menards.com. Save 